You're listening to This Thing We Call Art, a podcast about when you saw the thing, when there was only 10 people to show, and it was freezing cold, and like the thing broke. I'm your host, Kelly Lloyd, a visual artist, essayist, and educator currently based in the UK. I've been interviewing people in the arts about their livelihood since 2017, and today you're going to hear a conversation I had on the 14th of September, 2022, with Jesse Malmed. Jesse Malmed is an artist, curator, and educator, living and working in video, performance, text, installation, events, occasional objects, their gaps and overlaps, and Chicago. His works play in sub and countercultural histories, like a joke that's a poem that's a song covering itself, a shadow puppet interfering in the broadcast beam, having deja vu for the first time, or watching a time travel sequence in reverse. Engaging with a range of publics, his entanglements and propositions include instigating the poster platform Western Pole, co-driving artist bumper sticker project Trunk Show, directing the live-to-tape artist television festival, programming with Acre TV and the Nightingale Cinema, hosting the Artist Karaoke Archive, permanent guest hosting contemporary art radio show Bad at Sports, slinging wares and wares via Jet Sea merch blot, and recording and assisting the kindergarten a cappella noise ensemble Husky's Florchestra. He attended Bard College in the University of Illinois at Chicago, where he teaches alongside Chicago Public Schools and the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I met Jesse in the summer of 2012 at Oxbow School of Art when I was taking Shannon Stratton's Party as Form, and he was taking Ollie Watt and Michael Andrews' swag, merch, and souvenirs, the printed object. And we brought one another into each other's projects since. I spoke with him over Zoom while we were both staying in homes that weren't ours. The audio quality for this season is varied, so remember that the transcripts for all these conversations are available on the project's website, thisthingwecallart.com. Our conversation was three and a half hours long, and while I wish I could share it with you in its entirety, today you'll listen to excerpts from it. I'm going to drop you in at the beginning. You said you're not going to be funny anymore. Do you want to tell me more about that? Uh, That was a joke. Um, I'm actually, I'm just getting funnier. I'm getting, I might, or, or like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's actually a good, place. why not? Maybe it's a good enough place to start, but I do feel more and more committed to and less and less um, defensive about or a or hundred different things about um, about comedy being central to the things that I'm doing and the sort of like the, the logics of, of, of comedy being um, integral to like the kind of work that I'm into, that I'm doing. And maybe more more unapologetic is maybe the way that I would just say that. Maybe I was never especially apologetic, but was maybe was occasionally obfuscative about it. And not that I um, ever didn't fully believe in it or whatever, or also that I don't still use sort of like theoretical ways of describing its validity. But I do feel now, now more than ever, as we say during COVID, that um, the, like the things that I'm doing don't need to be justified within a context of whatever uh, academic approaches to how to have fun or how to, pre- how to pretend that you weren't having fun or something. Was there like a notable shift or something like that in terms of like, did something happen? And then you were like, no. I, I think there was, there was like a period of time when I thought that um, there were like these split inclinations and that the sort of idea of something being funny somehow took away from its seriousness as art. Yeah. And so then like, like that I would do things, but then they had to be sort of like slightly more corralled into different spaces and maybe just, I don't know, but, but I feel like that that's, that's lessened and lessened and lessened. And then also related to that is like the feeling more and more comfortable with the, 
ways that the, like uh, keeping different parts of the practice separate are as useful as they are useful to me as part of like a way of theoretically shifting the way that I'm thinking about things as well as for other people. And so like, it's funny when sometimes an object is an artwork and sometimes it is a piece of merchandise and sometimes it's none of those things. And like the way that I'm thinking about it in terms of value also feels shifting. Like I like the idea that something could cost $200 or $10 and be the exact same object. Um, and like, why would somebody offer it to be the more expensive one? And that's funny. And that maybe like indicates other things about that. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So I, I feel, I feel like I'm like, I'm like endlessly opening things up more and more. Um, but, but definitely in terms of like the sort of like the, the, the joke value, something, the humor value of something feeling like that as a, uh, that it can point to these other things, but also can be enough that, that that is the thing that it's doing is something being funny is, is also enough for an artwork to perform in that way. In the same way that sometimes it being beautiful is enough. Um, and that I wanted to do these other things, but also like those are enough. And sometimes we, I think that there, there can be like discursively a way that that feels like, well, sure. I mean, it's made me feel great, but, uh, what else, you know, and you're like, maybe that was the right amount, you know, maybe that's there. We can be modest in our goals sometimes as if humor is modest. I feel like we started a conversation at Oxbow about lore because we're talking about world building or we're talking about, um, yeah, like the possibility of the space of a joke, you know, and at Oxbow, I was teaching party is form, which you guest starred in. Thank you for that thinking about the party as a, as a space for world building, thinking about the forum as a space for world building. Um, and um, yeah, lore. Why, why did you want to talk about that? What does that have to do with like, yeah, like the stories that we tell ourselves about the things that we're doing and like how we commit to those potentially also like in the face of like a more complicated reality or I think part of what was um, really like, so so just for further context for the listeners of the future, um, I was I was at Oxford earlier this summer, also teaching co-teaching a class with Brian Trammell called the Expanded Field and the Expanding Field, um, which was about um, about two weeks long, but it was about zines and ephemera and events, and we were thinking a lot about lore there, and I, so I carried that you know through my through my summer um, and probably through my life, but just like. Partially because I think from the perspective of, let's say, like countercultural, subcultural histories, um, it, it just like it, it is an important part of the way that we understand those things. And to think about like, th like maybe from like an art historical standpoint, um, thinking about a sort of like artist run history, artist, artist run art history or something like that. Like if the things that I that I engage with, that you engage with this weekend in, in Chicago was the Midway um, artist run alternative to an art fair was the way they're describing it. And so it was just in um, convening with, but not creating conventions or maybe creating conventions with, you know, people who have like a hundred different artist run spaces, cinemas, zine, presses, foundations, things that have all kinds of different skills of like institutionality and age and some schools and different kinds of things, but like throughout the Midwest and it ruled. It was so great. I had such a wonderful time and, um, it really had this great feeling of, of kind of like togetherness and the organizers did a really great job of um, reminding the participants of the part of how, how and why we were here was because of sort of like our self-sufficiency and desire to be in community. And I think that that kind of like intention setting in the, like truly like the organizing emails of being sort of like, how, what time can I get here? That kind of thing 
created, in addition to that, just maybe it's being natural, but I feel like it also was like a useful, one of the only useful things I've ever seen in email. Um, just kidding. Lots of great emails. Um, was sort of this thing of like the people showed up and they were like, I'm ready to do my thing and I'm ready to help with other people. And if someone needs a thing, I'm ready to help. Like just remembering that it's not, there were no, no bosses, no servants, um, no, you know, like that like you do what you can to make this thing happen in a cool way together. And that seems really obvious, but it's not the way that like um, general art fairs are organized, right? It, it's a non-competitive, non-hierarchical thing in which a few people are getting paid, the organizers are getting paid, but not much. And the idea is more that like, we're, we're building a cool thing together and we're doing it together. And I, and I saw so much of that energy. Blah, blah, blah. So also like, so artist run spaces are massively important to me. And they are the space that I'm, you know, I'm interested in showing stuff in a wide range of contexts for the different things that they provide. Um, but that in general, those are the places that I found to be most interesting, fulfilling and like generative for me. Um, yeah. So then part of that also, and that's like very much related to, in my mind, um, histories of sort of like sub and countercultures. And so whatever independent presses and record labels and DIY cultures, and those are the places that I come from, but also the places that I'm sort of like most interested in, in terms of like a kind of concept of, of art history. Those are the books that I'm reading. Those are the, the like packets of ephemera that I'm still wanting to look through the cultures that I'm trying to kind of like mine and be excited about and, and feel in concert with, or feel like, you know, we, we sort of were, were allowed to build our own, sort of like the the historical families or like the the lineages that we're a part of right and so that's those are the, the ones that excite me um so then with with lords i feel like it's you know the way that some of these things are known about with, with some exceptions you know um with people who are sort of like specifically playing with ideas of invisibility in general the way that we know about a lot of these things that happened is because they like made flyers and because they made fanzines and because they were their friend had a radio show and because they wrote about it in their diary and because Charlotte Mormon collected all the stuff in her archives and because this person has a, this thing and like, you know, whatever, like the, the zine library in, in Iowa that has all, you know, like those things are, it's because people made material and other people collected it. And that's kind of simply the, the thing that the, the way that these things are perpetuated is through that. But also then lore as a part of that, of like the oral traditions of being like, dude, I heard this fucking band. This like, this guy just like do this. One. Like I remember just hearing so many stories about that. And, uh, and being excited by that and often that as a kind of performance documentation to hear that somebody screamed for 20 minutes straight until they passed out um, is often more interesting than the version of it that like actually happened. Um, and you know, like you think about the 70s performance art that we see like a single still black and white image from with a short paragraph description and how much more interesting that is than like somebody live streaming and being able to watch like the four hour version of that contemporaneously and being like, whoa, I am not going to watch a four-hour video if you're doing anything, like literally anything, um, including watching um, a movie that I want to see and the camera's just on the movie, you know, like in a fine way. But like uh, in terms of documentation, lore, lore as, as a part of documentation that is sort of like interesting and flexible and useful and also fun to see the way that it is. It, it has at its center its um, kind of unreliability. And I think that's kind of cool of that, you know, whatever, all, all kinds of documentation and these things are unreliable. And so maybe to have the unreliability be like one of the factors that is interesting to play with. Like it's more interesting when you're somebody miss says the name of what you were doing or when it was happening and then it builds up and somebody else kind of mishears a thing in like a, a small game of telephone than like the experience we've also had of the newspaper getting it wrong and being like, well, that's not interesting. It's just like a bummer that 
that person's name is misspelled, you know, but like somebody in a different city getting like key parts are wrong. is like, cool. Now it exists in two ways, you know, that's what I'm thinking. I, I remember um, when I moved to Baltimore, I like moved away from Chicago, didn't have a job, didn't have a place to stay, whatever. I ended up getting a place to stay, getting a job at Baltimore school for the arts. Like that worked out for, you know, a year or whatever. Uh, and I remember talking to you and you saying that you had overheard somebody that was like, oh yeah, Kelly moved to Baltimore for this great job. And then you laughed yourself and you were like, lols, no, no, she didn't, you know? So, I mean, I guess that- They just had the order wrong, you know? (laughs) They did have the order wrong, but they also had the story, you know, I think, um, yeah, I guess I'm not necessarily concerned with like the truth, but I am concerned with the kind of- honesty or a kind of memory that includes the difficult parts as well mm-hmm. or that um that includes the things that didn't work or includes like the attempts as well as just the the triumphs and i wonder how lore um how lore also records the boring logistics the you know, um, the order of events, things like that, that do radically change the way that we understand what happened. I feel like maybe sometimes even more so than kind of more official like art histories, there's the there's the part of why people are telling lore is because they maybe there is like a, a different kind of failure built into it. That it's like there there's much less of people being like, and then this painting it had like this really interesting impasto or whatever, right? Like the assumption that thing is in there. And so, like, you're more likely to hear somebody tell you slightly incorrectly about, like, uh, you know, Chris Burden getting shot, as I, like, was, have been told, like, 12 different versions of what happened with that. And that's, um, you know, like, that's, which is much more likely to have sort of be, yeah, something where, where something interesting can happen um, in the telling of that, even if it is, it, so then I think of that, and it has, like, built-in failure inside of that, potentially. Um, like people are more excited to talk about also the thing where when the thing was not going well, when you saw the thing, when there was only 10 people at the show and it was freezing cold and like the, the thing broke is like a more likely story than sort of like, yeah, I went to see their triumphant retrospective and, or I saw them at whatever festival and they like sure knew their songs at that point. So yeah, they had like some guitar texts and sound was good, you know? I mean, that also is something where it's like, right, like the ways that things worked and didn't work. There, there's a level of maybe like mm, heroism inside of some of those things that is different than some of the sort of more boring failure parts of things. Um, but I think it, it does it does the potential for more more of what, more of the imperfections, more of the struggle to be a part of that. It's, it's interesting. Like I, um, I attended the Speaking of Art seminar at University of Chicago a couple years ago, the seminar that they've had, I think up until last year about artist interviews. And it's mostly um, art historians that are participating in it, but they're also artists. You know, I was an artist. There were a couple of other artists there. It's interesting. One of the people I won't talk about specifically in it was really grappling with the fact that the artists had one narrative that they had put forward of their own life. And 
there was all this additional material that they found that didn't fit in with the thing that the artist was pushing in terms of their story about their own life. Yeah, how is it that we as artists are constructing this oversimplified, triumphant narrative of ourselves at times? It seems like it's related to the questions that are inside of like arts journalism generally, which is to say like, what are the, the, the ethics feel different to me than other kinds of journalism? Um, where they be, they're like more squishy and they become kind of stranger as also like, well, first of all, as, as, as it like makes less and less sort of like sense as like an actual job for someone to be an arts writer means that necessarily somebody who is like, you know, a music journalist is also going to write press releases for a record label and also work for Spotify as somebody who writes the, the blurbs before the playlist or whatever, right? Like that, that's the thing is that they become a person who produces language for music as opposed to somebody who is working in the specific side of it. And that's filled with problems in terms of becoming like what functions essentially as like a PR person and inside of realms of like a pay to play situation in which naturally the whatever is reviewed in whatever town without naming name, okay, I don't have any names without, without, without saying words um, is it like that those are probably more indicative of the, galleries and museums that give advertisements to these people that fet them in various ways, whatever those kind of things are, it's like, it's inside of a certain infrastructure, but that's also, I think, kind of understood that in a not, in a definitely not positive way, that that is part of the sort of way that that works. Right. And so then, I mean, that's awful, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's not, it's not great. It, we should have, it would be great if somebody who, um, who is theoretically being like in, in the role of, of journalist or critic is does not also write things for the monographs for which they're paid by a big gallery to, um, you know, create like the sort of intellectual framework for why this artist that is going to be collected by these people is important. Right. Um, definitely. At the same time, there's also like the strangeness of that existing inside of both like the world of make believe of, of art and then simultaneously, or it feels very different. Also maybe, maybe, here, maybe here's the way that I sort of feel about this because is, is that like these different contexts require different things and that that context often is sort of like about the level of the economic footprint and the level that it actually does talk about real power. Um, and so it's like kind of actually exciting and interesting when somebody who's working in whatever space and is not sort of like using their self-mythologizing as a kind of like marketing tool, that that is a space that actually feels like a really interesting place to play with in terms of identity and whatever these other kinds of things are. And then that's obviously like completely disastrous when it takes place amongst the sort of like wealth criminal class. How do you think about kind of what kind of art journalism you do, I guess, specifically with your interviews um, with Bad at Sports? And then maybe I'll ask you a broader question about how you're thinking about creating this constellation of um of what did you say like subcultural spaces for yourself for other people in your art practice um yeah so i mean the bad at sports thing is like it's something that i've been, I've been doing some on and off with them for well oh my god like a decade now but i, I still don't feel I, I i feel like that it was more like writing at one point and then it's been on on air and sort of podcast for the last couple of years as the thing. There are now, it's sort of like the, the amount of people are involved change, but right now there are four people. And I sort of think of myself, still describe myself as like a permanent guest host um, instead of, which I don't know if they agree with that or not, but I like 
kind of preferred my role as being something that's less central to it. But I remember like, you know, a couple of years ago, like they, 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 were, they were like, who wants to be on mic for this show? It's very casual. And I was like, I don't think I should. I know these people too well. Like it's about this thing. And I have like a piece in the thing and like feeling really like that it was, it was transgressing these sort of like art journalism boundaries. And then Dana at the time who was, who was doing more of it was sort of like, it's not like that. You know that, right? Like, first of all, you're going to know, we know almost everybody that we talk to because, or whatever, an amount of people, because there's just like only so many people in this place and, and not that we necessarily know them well, but like that kind of thing. Um, and also that, you know, shifting the idea that like, I, I don't know that I necessarily think that it, it functions at the level of sort of like journalism at this stage, maybe it did at other points with like a kind of like capital J. I don't think that it's doing the same thing that I want to be being done by proper journalists. Like it's not, um, it's not investigative. It's not, um, yeah, it, it's doing something different. I think, I think there are definitely people who like in, in art are doing that, but this is a different kind of thing. And so the way that I think it's really thought of by certainly the founders in particular is thinking of it more in the lineage of like the fanzine and that it's like, we are art fans who are here to like have a conversation with, with, with artists and that that is, uh, that's the idea. And so, so for me, it's very much about sort of like, I just want to have interesting conversation with a person and sort of like give them a platform to talk about their things at the same time, doing it in a way that is like, hopefully more interesting than just a series of things we have that I have experienced in other places, which are like basically the same six questions in different orders. And that feels much more truly, I mean, like the, like the, you know, the, the best part about when Baddest Sports is working at its best, it's something where the artist is saying things that they didn't expect, but are maybe more honest, as opposed to sort of like uh, a space for performing the artist statement, you know? And, and sometimes you'll have that if like the first question, which it should never be, but sometimes it's sort of like, so what's the show? And then people will basically like, as best as they can just recall what they wrote in the press release. And it's like, this is bad radio. This is like hard to listen to for everybody involved, you know? And so it's like, you know, just like having a real conversation with these people. And I feel like also as you, as I think we mentioned when I interviewed you for Bad Sports, there's something that can be cool, can be interesting, can be valuable, can be funny, whatever the thing is about you know, like, like, like the context of, of an interview or a conversation that has some sort of like, in, uh, implied audience at some point, it, when it's not in your head that there's an audience, but rather it's like the specific form, not formality of that can allow for different kinds of conversations that would happen in other places. Like it kind of like both keeps you on task and allows you to go, to go on drifts, but like it's different than other kinds of conversations. Right. And that's like a cool thing to be able to do with your friends is ask them things that you wouldn't ask other times and to hear them say these things. And then also like maybe just as kind of last thing about that, that I also experience sometimes is like, sometimes with the interviews, I know the answer in a certain way. And so it's also the funny thing that like, we don't do that often when we're in conversation of being a surrogate for somebody else, you know, for like whoever the audience is in some version. I think that's also like an interesting role to play sometimes. Um, and then the, the understanding that the person is responding and not in a way where they then think that I'm like rude for forgetting that or something, but rather that there's this understanding that it's like, I'm both me and I'm a little bit of a surrogate for other people. And we're kind of like thinking about how to make this interesting conversation, but also in a way that isn't too linear or directed, but still feels sort of like conversational. And I'm saying all this, but I'm mostly like just talking and not, not thinking that much about sort of what can happen in there. Um, but my hope is that that, you know, I, I, I'm like a very small part of what will be an enormous and immense archive. And 
you know, so I'm like, I'm like glad that I have a, a small role in what will be, I think like a really important archive of, of the sort of like of all these different artists that have done things and, and, and it's, it's, it's messy. It's like, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not very good. And that is also, I'm sure infuriating for a listener, but um, it's the way that it's been allowed to continue is because there's, there's no money. There's never been any money to do this thing. And so it's like people like, like the, the format has been built so that it could continue moving without too many interventions. And sometimes that means that it's like the quality is not as high as if you were working from PR or a podcast that has sort of like a production staff or they even have editing, you know? In listening back or looking back or thinking back on the conversations that you've had, are there certain kinds of questions that are things that you ask repeatedly? Like, can you identify a certain thing in terms of like, oh, like this is what I'm chewing on, or this is something that I just like keep on asking people about that um, that is maybe central to, yeah, the questions that I ask about myself and my own practice, but then also just like something that points to something that's really important to me, even if for a time. Yeah, I mean, the first one that jumps to mind because I realized that I was asking it of most anybody. I think it actually like is a question that's valued valid for most artists, most people probably, and is central to sort of a thing that I think about all the time. And I'm just sort of curious how people talk about it is about the the spectrum of composition and improvisation. To me, is a question that I'm curious about with just about every artist. Um, and then certain people, it kind of like makes more sense where they specifically are people who like have performance practices that also include improvisation sure there's also people that are painters printmakers whatever kind of thing that like have different levels of that and, I, and to me that always feels like a really interesting thing to kind of go into because i think that people are also thinking about that maybe more than they're talking about um and it just is like a central thing in my thinking about how you make things um and what is the point at which something like moves into a space of instinct and so it looks like improvisation but it also is something that is like so thoroughly honed that actually like it functions more it functions closer to composition through convention through having done it long enough that it becomes like you know like anything can become a beat you just have to start repeating it right and so just like from a rhythmic perspective any utterance can has the potential to become something that is just like actually straightforwardly rhythmic from from that point on you know so yeah so that's the thing that i seem to ask everybody just about um i don't know there's probably other things like I, i'm i probably ask people things about humor more often than some people do um i don't know i'm i'm, I'm curious i mean I'm, I'm always curious about maybe I mean, these are things that are related to my own interests of course but like the impact that people's other roles maybe have in what they're doing. Um, so how having a curatorial project impacts their art making or how teaching or how their writing practice, or whatever. I feel like that's the thing that I seem to be interested in. Um, and then when it's sort of like a thing where I'm able to be the, I don't know, if I were more fully in the driver's seat and, and when I did kind of more like text-based articles, there was like longer, I'm usually pretty interested in like how people became interested in, in art making or the sort of like the, the, like when they knew, which is often earlier than when they like thought that they were allowed to be the one who knew or like, you know, like I think that that, that sort of version of there's 
so, so sometimes including that I there, like in these interviews we're doing this week, like that this was mentioned by one of the people. And then I was remembering another friend had said this years ago about this thing where they were like, you know, I mean, for a lot of us, like for artists, it's like we're at these things and it's kind of uncomfortable because deep down we're like introverts. Like we got into this because we were like really into drawing, you know, and that's how we became artists. And I was like, not me. Nope. I got into this. Like I am into drawing. I'm not an interviewer. Inter Introvert? I can't even pronounce it. I'm not an introvert, but I like I like drawing. I like doing stuff by myself. That is a, that is a part of my life. And I definitely was like a drawer as a kid. And I still am now. I'm constantly drawing. But it's like, no, I actually much more came into this through sort of like through ideas of counterculture. And then so it's like the, the, the stranger thing is that I'm at an art fair right now looking at a drawing than, than that I'm like at, at the show afterwards or that I'm talking to people about ideas or that I'm trying to be in a scene of like sort of in people that are interesting to me we're talking about art and we're sort of like building things together um and not say that i don't like care about the sort of the things that i'm doing in those other places but like the community thing actually is is central to what um you know, blah, blah, blah. so so i think that like there's a way that uh th th those questions from you are interesting of like were you i don't know were you were you in a in a band and that's how you got interested in this were you like the kind of the literary star where you were in debate and then you realize that actually you like performing which means you actually like doing this which means you're actually a photographer or what, like like those in a non-limiting way what are the sort of like the ways that a person got somewhere i feel like is often sort of interesting and elucidating you do so much jesse you do so many things and um and i mean i just want to kind of connect it back to what you said about the importance of community and also the centrality of um, like coming into your art practice through these countercultural spaces, like has that impacted the way that you have always made art as a person that uh, makes objects and then also curates and then also um, writes and obviously speaks to people and, and curate shows and then also curate spaces. And I don't know, it's really hard to even like list what you do because I've just, always seen it as just like a like a full frontal attack or something uh, I guess that's better than decay yeah I mean I guess that I there's a lot of ways that I answer that but maybe the thing that is feeling most um honest in this exact moment because I, I did just have like uh, I'll say like a very busy couple weeks in which I had two shows up in one weekend, which was like a really fascinating thing to be kind of installing back and forth with different parts of the city and then also cat sitting for some annoying reason. So I was like, like every part of my life was like, where is that object? Like, I remember it being, where is my shirt? Like where, you know, and just like, is it one of four different places right now? Maybe it's in my car, okay, one of five different places being like, this is too many keys for me to have. Um, and then like the week after doing this sort of like organizing this curated show and then also starting teaching. So it was like, it was, it was an interesting moment of like, in, in 10 days and doing mass whatever so it was like like all many of the things that i do were happening kind of at the same time and mostly i was actually like loved it um like the, the real thing is that like i uh thrive off of a certain amount of activity and i find that when i have sort of like a variation of different things that i get to do and have to do then i'm better at doing all of them when i have to like do computer work I just like resent it and I will just like leave the house and like try to not pay my Wi-Fi so that I can like not have to do that. And if I just have to do one thing, it's just like, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of an ADHD thing, maybe. Maybe it's a Sagittarius thing. There's a lot of different things that are going on. Um, but but I, but I it actually like, it makes me really happy when I get to be doing like five things at once. Like having that, it also is, it's, it becomes part of like the, 
the idea machine when there's a lot of things to kind of consider that then all of a sudden there's like a kind of like a clarity of, of decision-making in a way that you can sort of like spend hours on a really small thing. Like, I don't know, you know, like, like one of the ways that also that I, that I work in particular sort of like gallery shows is that there's like an additional four or five pieces that may or may not make it in the, at the end. And there's sort of like little secrets. There's like one that's hidden over here and that kind of thing. So for those kind of things, like, I mean, that I just love, I love that, but it also means that then like this thing that I've already shown in a different context now needs a new title, for instance, like I love titling things, but also that if you're just sort of like sitting on me like title, 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 you know, they're like, they're kind of better than if I, if I had to spend three hours pacing around the room trying to figure out the title. Right. And so the, the same thing can happen when you're like looking in the room and just like installing something like, okay, this seems to go here, this over here, and this over here, and then like come back move it around a little bit if you need to, but that that actually can be like, we can become, there's a kind of like paralysis that can happen with too much time, a mixture between like paralysis and like deep avoidance is how to describe that. And so when there's like a ton going on, I have like, it feels actually much clearer to me. Um, and it feels exciting in a way that it's sort of like the way that, you know, like for better, for worse, which it, that's a phrase I use often, um, which I don't know, I don't know. Or it's just like a way of like making a statement without being like, I think this is correct. It's just what my life is like is that the way that I'm sort of like thinking often about some of the choices that I've made that have led me to this, to whatever, to the conversation we're having right now in which I'm also like in a rented, affordably rented plant sit situation in the city I don't live in so that I can do this, but I'm doing this other thing, whatever, all the different ways that I exist where I am are like, more, more of those choices were based on sort of like what would feel like an interesting way to be in the world and what are the ways that like with this one precious life with this this one experience that we have that we can sort of like not dwell too much on that though certainly that's present but also like do things that feel exciting or something and so to me it's like as an artist it's like the, i like want i just like want like a ton of stuff to happen i just want to i like i love when there's a lot happening and i want to like make more work so i can be in more places i want to go somewhere else so i can see more things that's the whole thing and so it's just sort of like that that um but not that not like in a i'm into people who also move slowly and like people have different needs um but for me actually like moving fast um feels feels good and it feels like like that's where like ideas come from you know like it feels like it feels generative and generous um and yeah and then also i, I feel like you know like those different interests sort of like allow for different things to happen like there's there's just really wonderful things you know i come also like i don't know i, I i've just i've long been kind of interested in those like beyond interdisciplinary, but like messidisciplinary um, approaches where the person like, like the reason why scenes are able to continue and to exist is that there is not a sort of like one art historian throwing their flag onto one artist, as you said, with one, whatever, but like um, somebody who is organizing shows and also making their own work and then writing about it and this other stuff. It's like, that's where, that's where these things come from. Right. And that's where, that's like why we know about certain like, independent music scenes at different times is because of that exact energy that happened places literary scenes whatever um you know and i think also there's like like just as a i don't know button to that there's like a way that i think when when you and i were in our individual grad schools grads school in chicago back in the uh, early teens of the century i was like a i think we wanted to talk about a lot i think was sort of like interdisciplinarity and like artist run spaces artist curator, things like that. And so some of that seeped into my mind, even though it was already happening, but it sort of like felt more formalized. But I remember there also being like, 
I don't know. Like the, the, the thing, the thing that's weird about it is that like, it's, it's, it can lead to people feeling the pressure to do these things. It can lead to people who like have an apartment guy. Like what they really want is to just like have a medium scale job at a regular institution and just like be in art, you know, um, as opposed to the sort of like borderline problem of some of the people that I find that I cherish most deeply of like that the the immensity of the immersity of the immersiveness of being inside of that you know um so it's like so like it's cool people try different things on it and not be moaning any part of it but I, I know that I recognize that applying that same kind of um those expectations are not the same for all people and again not in a way that is hierarchical um but that is just like different different kinds of things and so there are people for whom that becomes like a really stressful thing they actually don't like working with other people they hate writing they whatever the thing is it's really painful it's whatever it's like i i i don't think that this is like a one-size-fits-all approach i think that for certain kinds of minds and beings it like makes perfect sense and then for other people it's sort of like the construction of this like impeccably made painting away from the world is a thing that makes sense and that's like great and i, I can't you know that that's not the thing that i'm doing you know, I think constantly about the different ways that parts of my art practice like can be co-opted, mm -hmm. you know, um, like you are busy, you are productive, like you have a lot of things going on at once. But at the same time, it's like you have to show that you're hyper productive, but you also have to show that you have a long term investigation in one thing and you are going somewhere with it. So I think that's something that's interesting about your practice, Jesse. I'm not saying that you're not going anywhere. But it does seem like it's kind of like you're pushing so many things at the same time that um, this idea of like you, yeah, being triumphant in one of them um, seems kind of irrelevant or something from the outside. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably like, yeah, I mean, the, 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 my, my practice, I think that you could definitely like see really clear through lines. And I hope that it is kind of like moving in, in interesting directions, but I don't necessarily believe in that sort of like progress idea that it's like uh, apartment gallery to small scale gallery that has a little bit of this to this to this to like then, you know, solo show at whatever museum or something like that. I, and, and so like that, I feel like that's often how those things are considered with maybe like deviations to something that is like a, a collegium, the Neubauer collegium or something like that, like sort of like there, there's like acceptable places like off ramps along the way that are um, that that kind of like bolster the that this is like an interesting practice or something like that. I don't that doesn't make sense for the things that I'm doing, but um, I do feel like there are like there's these different strains you can watch how they're sort of like moving and pushing in different directions. Now I want to make like backwards moves. Like this is like making me made me feel crazy to even have this in my brain. And I was like, I only want to show in like undergrads uh, shows. Like I'm not. <laughs> I don't even want to be. I don't even want to have like. I want a nickname. I want to be. I want to be 11. I want, like, I can't, it was, I was so, but with the other thing that I think is maybe it was on my mind this week. So if you'll indulge a moan. So one of the things that, um, anecdotally I was doing this, uh, so like I have, I have this ongoing project called gallery as form. The basic thing is that for like a certain amount of exhibitions that I'm organizing, in addition to organizing the show, I'm also organizing, it's like a new gallery, not just a new show. So a new gallery produces a new show. And with that, they have their own website and their own social media thing. And more than that, those are more like almost, I mean, they're, they're real, but they're more like props or something like that. 
and that the, the sort of like inside of a play in which this place exists. At the same time, the shows are the shows are real, which is to say like they have like different ideologies, different history. So like this is the kind of gallery that is a commercial gallery that would exist in the X part of town of X kind of place that has this kind of like way of describing exhibitions. Uh, and then so some of that is like a super scrappy DIY place. Some of that is something that's like a slightly out of touch, but a gust space. Something is like a university gallery or one that like takes itself very seriously in a specific way. Another one is one where like they don't even use words in the press releases because there's just like too many colors in the show. All these different kinds of moves as being like interesting kind of cosplay things. At the same time, the shows are real. The work is good. I feel good about them. It's this funny thing where I like generally try to do um, as part of the theater of it, like lies of omission instead of commission, which is to say that like the first one of these was a gallery that was called Selected Works Gallery. And it was a show called The, the Long Goodbye. And it was a show that was all about how the gallery, it was their final show. And so like works that were about that, but then also commissioned 12 different art historian writer types to like write remembrances of the space, which of course were entirely speculative as it had not technically existed before they received that email. And it was great. Like they wrote funny things. There was interesting things that were very heartfelt. It was also like a lot of kind of like displacement of other things in their lives, obviously onto this. But then also there were like things, there were resonances between their remembrances of an un, non-extant place. <laughs> anyway, so then like people came to the show and had to be like, ah, I can't wait the last show. And you're like, yeah, it is the last show. Like that, that is a, that is a true statement. And being like, yeah, I'd, I'd never been here before. Like I, I think I'd heard of it and be like, people have been saying that, you know? Um, and then sort of people being like, do you, do you work here and be like, well, you know, I organized this show. Um, I don't know. So, so not like trying not to, I don't know. Th th maybe that last one was something where it was kinkless stuff. But so with this one being like, how do I get people to come to this thing? But at the same time, not let them know that it's one of mine. At the same time, like when people figure that out, that's okay. It's not like I'm trying to like fully, but more that like, that it will be interesting for them in the interstices between them discovering that the thing is happening and then knowing that I'm somehow involved in that, but not in a way where I want to like become, I don't know. It, it's, it's not about deception, but it's about sort of like moment, momentary fantasy or something like that. It feels like the sort of like the artist run space, the kind of like the, the opportunity of DIY in a, a different era of kind of describing what that means um, is about being able to re kind of imagine what these things look like. Right. And so like, why, why are so many, DIY house shows, do they maintain so much of the same thinking that is happening with like at a club? Why do cinemas look like movie theater? Well, like all those things. And the answer is like, in some cases there's like, you know what, it actually does make sense to have the entrance to the show be at the back so that you don't walk through the stage, <laughs> but we don't have people walking through the screen. Okay, that was a good, that was good. You know, we should have the lights out during the movie. Got it. But then other things where it's sort of like inheriting these really stupid things from other forms, right? And I would think it's a really strange thing of like somebody who is producing radical work in whatever form and then how the ways that it can often be almost indistinguishable from the other kinds of places, right? Like why, why are so many film programs of kind of like difficult, whatever critical work, do they, people still try to make them the, about the length of a movie, the programs of shorts of being sort of like, that's what counts as a night of stuff. These short performances will be like, like what it feels like to go to the theater. You know, and it's like a very strange thing because like, and shows happen at this time of night, et cetera, in a way that like, if you're exploiting the, the, the model with this thing, then like way more bands should be playing in the morning, right? Obviously, way more things should be happening at different times of day and more screening should be 25 minutes long or six hours long or should like take into account the things that can happen there. Um, yeah, so anyways, so I, I feel like, I mean, like, like that, that sort of consideration. And then also kind of 
really related to that also is the sort of like artist run space of like why if you can do whatever you want in in this space you got this little room and you can do anything you want why would you make it so it's so similar to this other thing it can feel a little bit like being the resentful younger sibling or something like that um in a way that like of course like for you know for like a painting exhibition it like yes put them on the wall and light them well don't put them on the floor or whatever people step on them but in other situations it's like if you're allowed to do whatever you want and what you want most is to do this thing maybe we could just like do that thing you know you know in this kind of way of making art of changing forms and that being quite important you know like a really important reading for me was like Amiri Baraka's technology and ethos he talks about right, right like the um the morality of the makers being in the technology that we use and then how and kind of imagining like yeah what would technology look like if it was made by somebody else and then also the importance of breaking form and reinventing form and yeah I guess that was quite important for me in my journey like away from being a figure painter into another kind of figure painter like thinking about playing around with form as I know you do as well but you know how is it that people are experimenting with form but then maintaining a kind of conservatism of some of the things that make up the form mm -hmm. in order to still be recognized as being in the same conversation, in the same, um, identified as in the same genre or whatever. Totally. And if you stray so far out of conventions that at what point are you no longer a part of the conversation? Mm -hmm. At like what point are you no longer a part of the archive? At what point are you no longer remembered as a deviation from this larger conversation from this form that you theoretically care about because you're participating in it. Yeah, totally. So, you know, like the Chicago Public Library has this really cool thing where they have these, like the artist files that are, um, oh, it's great. It's like, you should also send some stuff there. It's just, you know, these like um, files, folders, like it takes different shapes of people, but it's like different people's collections of ephemera, show notes, all different kinds of stuff. And it's something that I haven't done yet with any of my things in part because I haven't felt a particular urgency to, but it is a thing where it's like they have things, it's both things that people have donated specifically about somebody in the collection of other people. So it's like, you know, there's, there's like, I'm sure that in the thing, it's like Ray Yoshida is next to somebody whose name is Roy Yoshida, who is just like, yeah, I was like, did this three things and here's the flyers from it. Like, you know, like that kind of thing, which I think is really beautiful to imagine those, those objects being in that space that can both, that can be usable as an archive for people if they want to activate it later or even just like that it's it's in the record and i think there's something kind of nice about that and i also sort of like the ways that that can exist is something that is um i don't know there's something cool about certain kinds of archives that are sort of like non-hierarchical or less hierarchical or something like that like the way that you're next to something because of your last name is, is sometimes kind of a cool thing instead of the the scale of your and our, our names would be pretty close to each other um, you know, among the, the ways that things can be organized. And so I was seeing actually a couple of days ago, this is like a little, zoop, but um, I saw a flyer for a show at this place called the Orgone, which was like a microcentre in Pittsburgh that I never went to, knew people who knew, but it was like after the fact and whatever, but like sort of like, again, lore, slightly legendary. I have a guy with the show they did. And as soon as I saw a flyer from it from like the nineties, maybe I remember it and then realized that like, Five years later, I had done something not the same, but like related. It's the same thinking, different show. But they had 
there was a flyer for a show that they did that was all prints from um, filmmakers co-op in New York, but it was all stuff that none of them had seen. And it was just based on the descriptions and things that they they like didn't know about, but they seemed interesting. And so the, the first time anybody saw it, the curator, anybody saw it, the audience saw it was simultaneous. And I thought that was a really cool idea. And then like years ago did a thing where it was like commissioning people to make uh, films based on the catalog descriptions that I found in these things. And that was based entirely on you know, looking through like Canyon Cinema or Filmmaker Co-op, like their catalogs and seeing like people inside of the sort of um, a thing that I also find myself doing from time to time when describing a thing of doing it in like a sort of poetic way that doesn't actually give much away about what's actually happening in it. And that's very different for somebody who then has like a long career and that film keeps getting shown. And you're like, it is because they didn't give too much away, you know? And then other times where it's like the only thing that that person made before they had moved into a different part of their lives or whatever it's just so wild. This thing will like never be watched because it is the, the paratext doesn't sell or something like that, you know, but I think it's also like really cool. And actually it'd be great if more organizations that have holdings like that did do more interesting things with those things. Right. Um, anyway, so when I die, I hope somebody does something like that with me. <laughs> okay. So the last question that I always ask everybody is, um, did we talk about what you thought we would talk about? Or is there anything that you would like to ask me? Or is there anything that you'd just like to say? I mean, I guess one thing that I'm curious for you is just sort of like um, how, how is this way of doing research, let's say, which is to say that's also very much related to the social and things that you're doing anyway in other parts of your life or certainly were pre-pandemic and will continue to do and whatever, like being in relation to artists. Um, how is this particular form? And then also thinking about it in ways that can be sort of like structured and considered in research. How has that changed your own practice now having all these different voices in your head? Lateral voices, not professor voices, not student voices, you know? Yeah. Um... It's funny having teachers because from a young age, you know, I learned um, and thankfully I, you know, was aided in this realization um, by my parents um, that teachers have to be taught by somebody. Mm. And so it's funny to have this kind of relationship with so many people throughout my studies. Um, but then also, you know, like people that care for you, whatever, you know, giving you advice, things like that. And then it's really nice to kind of see it as a drop in the bucket rather than as like these five people who, you know, were in, positions where they were either paid or felt a responsibility to like give me some kind of advice or like guide me or like tell me how the world is mm -hmm. so it's been really nice to like I do feel like I've learned like so much from all the people that I talk to so it's been really nice to um be able to have yeah, more voices in my head because I feel like it 
lessens the degree to which any one of those voices becomes a bit too dominant. Like I always learn a lot and I'm so thankful at people's willingness to talk with me about some stuff that can be quite difficult or their willingness to be present with me in this moment. And to, like you said, right, with these interviews like that you do on the radio, like what does it mean to, yeah, talk to people that you know, but like, um, like have them be kind of not giving you a rote answer, but like rather thing that they're kind of thinking through in the moment, you know, like I feel very thankful that people are willing to do this with me. And I think that, um, you know, understanding of the art world as full of people that are like willing to help mm-hmm. uh, is like something that is so hopeful. And I feel like I always could use a bit more hope in terms of the way that I understand the art world. Yeah, I love that. Or like art worlds, of course. That's that's an easy one, but I feel like it's always worth that uh, the thing of just like the reminder of these as being like multiple overlapping things, you know? Love you, Kai. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jesse. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Epilogue. On the 30th of December, 2022, Jesse Malmed wrote to me, I've had a busy and mostly lovely few months. One show I want to highlight is Click and Clack at Folio, an artist-run gallery and bookshop in Green Bay, Wisconsin. For the exhibition, I asked a dozen artists, including you, meaning me, Kelly Lloyd, to furnish me with prompts for individual works. It was a joy and sometimes a stressful one to think through my approaches to these directions. Sometimes I was combative, sometimes I offered more exactly what was asked, sometimes I went sideways. In a moment of commiseration, this happened alongside my students' final weeks, which alongside the material considerations, most of my materials from the show came from the University of Wisconsin-Madison's surplus non-store, heightened the playfully pedagogic. It feels related to a lot of what we talked about in the interview, artist-run culture, lateral structures, humor, education, collaboration, lore, etc., which was fascinating to think about anew. Since we last spoke, the world lost one of the art lives of my life, Mikey Ray. He worked primarily in drawing and music, but also made painting, sculpture, ultra performance art, and was a tremendous writer in person. It would mean the world to me for our listeners to look at his work and, as one of his songs went, contemplate their days. You can find more information about Jesse Malmed and his work at his website, jessemalmed.net. Links to what we spoke about today, as well as other interviews with people in the arts, are on the project's website, thisthingwecallart.com. This podcast was funded by the Oxford Research Center and the Humanities. If you would like to help make the next season of the podcast a reality, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts, becoming a Patreon member, or donating through the PayPal link on the project's website. The logo was designed by Eva Duerden, the episode artwork was created by Julia Ratti, and the theme song was made by Alessandra Moroni. This podcast was produced by me, your host, Kelly Lloyd. Thanks so much for listening, and tune in next week for my conversation with Eva Duerden and Lou McNamara, who, along with myself, most recently formed Twelo Collective.